Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy. Dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. Holly said it's where. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Holly says <laughs> swears all the time. All the time. I do I do swear. This I I do so swear. Um <laughs> should I just do it again? Uh yeah. Okay. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Where did it land, Susan? Fancy meeting you here again. Oh, oh. we did this already. Well, we kind of did it. We kind of wove it in with the bookends. But uh, was there anything else specific about the, the bridge scene? It was, you know, a scene that so many of us really loved in the second episode. Um, and I think that now we can see that there is even more significance to it. I loved that they had uh, Renera, you know, come again on Cyrax, just like that first scene. Ran out of ideas? Is that what happened there? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I think I think one of the things that I got struck by that was I th- thought Kelly pointed out that Cyrax didn't look like she'd grown any at all. Yeah. However, I thought that her face looked bigger. Girl had armor on. She yeah. got an upgrade. She got a, a she got on her epic armor for this uh this meeting. <laughs> yeah. Cyrex did? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to go back and look. It had a like a gold uh headpiece with like a three uh three-headed dragon symbol on the on the forehead. Well, she's Girl, the queen's good. dragon now, baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. baby. <laughs> um but but reusing this uh, scene or this setting um, did remind me that I've been kind of keeping track of like where all of these scenes take place. And they are being very economical with their um, where they choose to place scenes. And if you notice, like a lot of scenes are reusing the small council chamber, um, like the dinner scene with Viserys, I think was supposed to be the small council chamber with a different uh, arrangement in it. But for the most part, they are just reusing these sets and um updating them over the years and it's they've been very wise and very economical about how they are uh, spending their money and not spending it on these elaborate locations when they don't have to and yet they went all the way to portugal just to shoot two scenes for this episode (laughs) i guess save the money in one place to spend it in another right there you go (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah and and while they uh your point is well taken um there's the fact that uh, the actors were all commenting on how like the the red keep is so well done because of the extensive details and how large that set is and how you go from room to room and so forth yeah yeah and it's consistent and um you can actually tell like when someone's coming up the stairs or down the stairs, like where they're actually going or when they get to the top of the stairs, what direction they go. And it's just, you know, it, it makes right. it a lot more um, believable and real. Too. I urge everybody to watch this week's uh, the, the documentary episode that uh, they did for this particular episode. 
when you see the size of the set where they put the painted table, mm-hmm. you see them building it and you see the height of it and everything, and then realize that they had to decorate all of that. Um, just the sheer height of it, it's gonna it's going beyond way beyond where the camera is ever gonna go. And then they fill it in with visual effects as well. Pretty darn amazing the set sizes that they did. And evidently, uh, this Warner Brothers lot that they've put this on that has the volume, that has these sound stages, um, they get to keep. They get they're they're gonna they just left them there ready for season two when the when season two comes back. Um, so there won't be any loss of continuity. Um, there may be some, you know, to indicate passage of time or passage of war or whatever, there may be some changes one way or another. Uh, but other than that, uh, an extraordinary amount of money went into these shows, despite the fact that it was not even close to the most expensive show that came out this year. Um, it's still, it staggers the mind. Oh, what I could do with just a little bit of that money. Just a little bit of that money. I wouldn't even need a Dragonstone set. Uh, we could scrap that. Just give me the money you spend on the Dragonstone set, and I will be happy. Um, I'll retire from my current job right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the the um, Dragonstone Stone Drum is known for being this huge tower, so I actually like that they paid attention to detail on that. I'm going to watch that now, Matt. This is the first time I haven't gotten around to watching that, um, so I, I've really enjoyed every single one of them, so I'm definitely going to gonna go watch that last episode especially they go really in depth on the painted table and they go really in depth on uh the building of of this dragonstone sets and where they Mm -hmm. film some of the dragonstone exteriors in portugal specifically for the court uh coronation scene and for damon's uh uh you know telling the telling the king's guard you know (laughs) pledge and mean it or die (laughs) You can die now or you can die screaming later. Your choice. <laughs> channeling or Danny channeling her great uh, great grandpa right. Damon later. We now life. know where she got it. Yeah. <laughs> Bird land, John. I believe we have the queen who never was in parentheses, the red queen, Rainies and Maylies. And we guess Corliss too. <laughs> That's a lot of words. I'm glad I didn't have to read that. That's got to be tiny print on that wheel. I can't even make out any letters of that. Uh, Kelly, why don't you lead us off with this, please? Uh, I will just say this. I love the way that Rainey's continued to measure Rhaenyra and how that reflects on Rhaenyra too, because she convinced her. Uh, and then the way that she told her coward of a husband who ran off to the stepstones because he couldn't handle uh, being there for his family. Um, yeah. Anyway, what you got? Uh, yeah. So Matt, in your initial reaction, I think you were asking if that was Maylie's flying off uh, with uh, the boys, and it, I think it was because of the crown shape of her uh, her head. Uh, it's the only way I could really tell. Um, okay. I think don't think Moon Dancer would have been that big, but that was another good guess. But no, I think that was Maylee. So yeah, we got to see Maylee's and you know, she got our girl to Dragonstone Lickety Split. And uh she gave her this news and she was in a little dragon armor the whole episode. I don't know. I I, I love Rainey's and I think that um is it Mabest? What's her the actress's name? She's doing Eve a really best. good Eve Best. Eve Best. Yeah. She's doing such a good job. I love 
for for such a little amount of content that they had to make this character out of like the fact that she is just like extrapolated so much from this this tiny little fruit that they were given um i'm i'm so grateful that they have such a cool female strong character but also like feminine and cautious and like not power hungry like she isn't an amazing like vice president or chief of staff like she doesn't want power but she is you know, wise and um, gives good advice, but is also loyal. Like, I just, I think she's an amazing character. And if there, yeah, if there was a, a role called the chief of staff, like if she could give somebody the the hand um, to anybody, I like, obviously Damon would, would want it, but I would give it to Rainey's. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, she was this close to being queen, right? Well, I guess it never really was that close. The vote was pretty spread out there. It was a nice focus on her and, I did hear somebody comment on she was, uh, you know, they, they talked about Damon being the leaner, the one who like kind of leaned on the wall and observed things in previous episodes that she was the leaner in this episode. But uh, you're right. You know, she just really took her time to observe, you know, at the very, the very first when she came in and told them about uh, Viserys dying and uh, what uh, the Greens had done, it looked like she was, you know, she, getting ready to just turn and leave right away. And then it's when um, Rodera uh, showed signs that she was actually going into labor. Then, then she stopped and stayed and she, you know, went and, you know, talked to the uh, uh, princes and, you know, stayed and did various things to kind of assist with what was going on, which gave her the opportunity to then take the measure of, of what was happening, but uh, uh, yeah, I love the role she played, and I also loved how when uh, you know she met with Corliss, then where he was finally coming to the recognition that that uh, he shouldn't have spent so much time trying to pursue the throne, and he was going to put all that aside now, and she's telling him like, you know, all these grandchildren that you want to retire and spend time with, well, they're all wrapped up in this now, so actually, we we are needing to be involved for their sake, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love the talking to you. I love, I love the way that Corley's entered that council, uh, looking like a man who knew his place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to me, that, that just said, uh, I don't know if there's implied that more words were said off screen, but the words that were said on screen were probably enough. John, what did you think of Rainey's this episode? I thought thought it was really well played and very efficient in terms of telling a very, uh, I, I guess, a, a con- consistent arc and some change and good character development with like little screen times. Again, the show is like um, a masterclass in efficiency for storytelling. And I think um, what Rainey's is, is she's just like the bearer of all the bad news. Like... <laughs> She brings all the terrible messages. Viserys is dead. She 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 has to tell everybody that. She tells tells him about Aegon's coronation. She tells tells about Vaemon getting his head chopped off. And, and then she's got to slap Corlys into reality and be like, "Yeah, your family that you care so much about, you're gonna have to fight for them now too, whether you want it or not." And oh yeah, the person you got to fight for is possibly involved in your son's death. I mean, I I really hope they pay off Lenore's escape to put that to bed 
and really cement this alliance because I do think it is a it's a good pairing. And considering how much they're putting on the line for Rainier, they it it's it's like they deserve it. They deserve to know that their son's alive. But, they do. But Rainey's keeps it very, very real. And she comes to comes to Rhaenyra's, um, I guess, side, and which I wasn't expecting. But I have to say the one thing that we hadn't talked about, but everybody else has been talking about it this week, is how Rainey's like didn't torch Aegon in the greens. And they perfectly wrote it for her to the point where she's like, look, this is not my war to start, which I was like, all right. She's right. She's yeah. kind of on the sidelines here. She doesn't really have a stake in the game, except she sort of does. It's, I mean, I, I mean, it all depends. But I do kind of agree. It's like she can't be the one to speak for everybody else. Well, I'm going to be the the disgruntled fan uh, yes, that spent all of this it. effort putting words in Rhaenyra's head and, and thoughts in her head all at the end of episode nine where saying see see how allison just really reached her and so she felt some sympathy for her and the fact that allison was standing in front of Aegon, that's why she didn't do it well no no instead the writers had to give her a good reason for not frying them i think that's just a travesty i mean what are you doing ryan come on my theory wasn't right i'm quitting the show no <laughs> Spin the wheel. Landon on. Oh, these words are pretty big. I can read it. The strong boys. Jason Luke. And I guess Joffrey. Too. Non-existent Joffrey. <laughs> he was there. We saw his yeah. face. Yeah. He's cute. The cute He's little cute. boy. He's cute. I, I was paying attention to the boys about as much as I was paying attention uh, to the intro sequence, which I happened to skip over this last episode, so and have since episode four. Uh, okay, so what do we want to talk about? I do like Jace showing obedience to his mother's wishes, and even challenging Damon to a certain point. Um, of course, there's lots of other stuff about the other about Lucera, so we could talk about. But let's focus on on. Jaceris or Jace for right now. Um, what thoughts do you have, Kelly, about Jace? Um, no, I, I just I did like the fact that he seemed so interested in his mom and and concerned for her, but also like took her at her word that you know like that these things needed to happen, and he understood that that was his job to go do it. Um, the uh, comparing that or, or adding to that, the scene that the show opened with was. Luke basically telling Rhaenyra that like she's perfect and he's not like her was so sweet and like I wonder if they both think that like they both think that she's so perfect and uh they just adore their mom and I love that for them mm -hmm. like yeah. <laughs> it's really sweet well I mean as book readers and we'll we'll get back off the subject I want to focus more on the boys in general but as book readers we all knew that this at the end of this episode was coming but when the the shot opened on Luke, I was just like, "Already, we're gonna do this now." Uh, it just it was because you don't you don't start with a scene like that unless something terrible is gonna happen to somebody in that scene in a finale. 
so I was just kind of, and, and I, again, I knew the outcome as a book reader, uh, what was going to happen to Luke. So I was just kind of, I just was unprepared for that scene um, simply because I was unprepared for that event. I wasn't expecting that event to be the end of the end of the season. I think they did a, a good job of having Coralist show up and that, that kind of almost being like a red herring for like what the opening with Luke was about and how like this was going to cause drama and that this was going to be the comeuppance for, you know, uh, but that wasn't it. <laughs> no, no, no. That wasn't the drama of the episode. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. but they, you know, they had it, they had it kind of, I think enough because yeah you're right like there are like some really obvious show tricks where they they give a character a line and you're like oh that character is a bad guy or that character is gonna die because they had a line this episode so i think they tried to not do that too strongly here <laughs> yeah well i think the book readers it was pretty obvious but uh well, to, to show only people i'm sure it was an unpleasant surprise uh susan your thoughts about jace or luke or joffrey yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, for the last couple of episodes, they've been really showing us that uh, Jace is a young man who uh, has a lot of admirable qualities. That uh, you know, he's someone who's who's serious, who is studious, who has uh, you know is courteous. Um, I think that uh, he has been set up as a fantastic contrast to to uh, uh, Aegon in that uh, since he's would be Rhaenyra's heir, uh, you know, we see this very deliberate difference between the two of them in would they be fit for, for the role. Um, so I, I think that they continued to do that. I mean, I think it really started well in um, episode eight but, uh, you know, they've been continuing that in this one. I think, in fact, taking it to the point where, based on what his mother told him, he was able to, um, you know, take it up with Damon when he thought that Damon was, you know, not staying with what uh, Rodera wanted to do, that he, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it challenging him, but, you know, saying, you know, like, no, you know, hey, we can't, can't do that right now. Um, that's showing some real strength on his part. I agree with, with pretty much everything Kelly and Susan have already said in terms of like where, where we're at in terms of who Jace is, who Luke is. Uh, the one thing that's been driving me nuts about these kids, I was fine with it until they kind of grew up a little bit, but they may have the features of a strong, but their dad, Harwin, he was one bad dude. Neither of these kids seemed to have any sort of proclivity similar to their father at all. Point, point of order, Laris is their uncle. Listen, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess when I was reading the, the histories and, and knowing kind of like who their father was and like kind of the way they described the characters, these, I mean, these look like like freshmen, like, or eighth graders, like forced to be in like high school against like <laughs> Aemon and Aegon, who they look like they could pick fights. Mm -hmm. Not that they're necessarily strong, but like these two other kids, they may be a little bit younger, but from everything I remember reading, it's like those strong boys, 
they they had some like physical presence to them um unless i read way too much into like who their father was that's the only nitpick i have on like the actors they chose but i think jace has got the part part of the character down but again he comes across as kind of weak like and meek and i mean luke is young that's expected but jace like, he's very it's, earnest it's weird it just doesn't it doesn't remind me any of anything of either of his parents like at all mm. that's just me I thought him standing up to Damon uh, was pretty brave. Uh, but you know, Rhaenyra would have done it with swagger when she was his age. Well, there's true. a difference. Yeah, no, that is to Kelly's points, but not it's not to diminish with him doing it. Like he's like he knew he had to do it, but you could kind of see the fear in his eyes of doing it. Like he was scared the whole time, at least. And maybe I'm reading way too much. Into it. Interesting as to his conflict with Damon. I didn't expect that. But that did I do find it really sweet the way Damon does kind of take him under his wing a little bit. Yes. Where he's like, hey, I got to show you this. And he's kind of showing him like, you need to be a little bit more cutthroat. And maybe this is the change that we see based on the end of this episode in the next season. I mean, I could even see a recast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Jace well, is going to yeah, do I mean, anytime up. you spend time with with Craig and Stark, you're going to age. Uh, <laughs> there's just no doubt about it. Uh, who evidently is somewhere nearer his age uh, in this story, uh, which is, I'm not quite sure if I remember that or not, but I, I do remember uh, the fact that at the beginning of this season, he definitely wasn't the one who, who pledged to uh, uh, Rhaenyra mm-hmm. in the first place. And yeah. and here Jace gets to go off. He gets to have a vacation at the Erie, gets to have a vacation mm. at Winterfell. <laughs> sure, he's got to deliver a message of war, uh but nonetheless you know i I got a feeling that he's gonna have a good time uh in either place so he was the one who suggested that they both go right yeah said mom send us and then he's gonna be feeling real guilty when he finds out what happened let's hope that that raven doesn't catch him till he's on the way back from winterfell because the guy's got a vacation coming from (laughs) he's got his raven turned to silent (laughs) (laughs) he's got his raven on silent Wow. All right. Well, while we're here, let's just do this. Let's get this out of the way and roll in the whole storms in thing with uh, poor Luke. Let's let's get this uh, painfulness out of the way. Susan, what do you got for me? Oh, I I don't know what I prepared for this. Um, uh, Well, (laughs) we knew it was coming. just uh, I do think and I'm sure we're going to get into into this that the changes they made were very interesting I mean and uh, again were they changes or just the their interpretation of of how this how this went but um um the whole well it was obvious from the way they set up Luke from the beginning and with that very first scene is that he was very unsure of himself and what he wanted and so you know like you just said Jace was the one who suggested they do this and he seemed to have uh, reservations or didn't didn't feel like he was really feeling strongly about this whole situation from the beginning so there was that 
And then once he arrives and uh, you see Vagar there looming up out of the uh over the castle that's when i'm shocked. out of there i'm not sticking around i'm just getting back on my dragon and going home and said no mom you deliver this message ain't no i'm doing it no right 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 you know it immediately becomes evident when he doesn't have anything to counter offer what uh uh the lord of storms End is asking him is that he was extremely that that was very poor planning and that they had a should have thought this through a little bit better. So, yeah, um, yeah just horrible all the way around. So I'm if sure Mama just sent him with a counter offer instead of making him swear on a book, you think he'd still be alive? Right, right. Yeah, something that they should have thought, well, you know, if if there's reservation or if he says no, then how do you handle that? And, you know, what are the other options? Yeah, it just seems like a, a natural thing that they should have been prepared for. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that as uh, everyone else talks here, I'll probably come up with some more to add to the conversation. But that's that's all I can say. Well, uh, you mentioned the changes. Why don't you go ahead and address that while you're here, while you're still in the mode? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, the changes being that we get the uh, um, scenario that the dragons were basically out of control during this final scene, that the both boys lost control, might be a better way to say it, of their dragons. And so what happened um, probably wasn't the intent that uh, Eamon didn't necessarily set out to to kill Luke, which it does seem like the book makes that uh, makes it evident that, that is his his uh, intent from the beginning. I I thought when I was watching the whole thing, what it reminded me of when uh, Arax shot the fire at Vagar made me think of like a little dog. You know, little dogs when they get threatened, uh, you know, by a larger dog that they'll mm -hmm. you know like nip at them or something like that it, it just that that was immediately what i thought of is there's the little dog trying to defend itself against uh this threat and of course then that just made vagar uh, determined to just you know stomp on it and get rid of it yeah so <clears throat> we know that the book implies something but remember these right. are all stories told from a maester's point of view, a exactly. historian's point of view. So there is no truth to be known. The, the luxury that the television show doesn't get is the ability to avoid that in the same way that a book can. We can't show the same scene three different ways and tell you, you know, that's what it is. Or we can't have somebody off screen suddenly come on screen and say, I heard that this happened. I heard that this happened. Now you can do that in context <laughs> next season you can have a couple of conversations about it going on in the background of of you know Rhaenyra just out and out wanting to kill everybody in the world which I can't blame her for but at the same time I love this I and you can agree with it you can disagree with it I understand that you all have your reasons for thinking that it wasn't just the dragons for losing control but to me the showrunners clearly did this as a bookend uh getting back to bookends at the beginning right. of the season, the very first words of true importance that we hear Viserys right. tell Rhaenyra 
is that the dragons are not controlled by us. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. at the very end of the season, we see just what that means. And right. I loved that as a storytelling element. Now, like I said, there's lots of ways that we can pick this apart and probably prove it to be different. Uh, and we can certainly see it from a book perspective, obviously, that it was that the intentions were obviously there. Uh, but to me, I think that nothing tells a more beautiful story of tragedy, which is what this whole season is, is the story of the Viserys tragedy. Uh, and to put it in that context where it even affects him, affects our story beyond his death, I thought was just a beautiful stroke. Um, right. And that's why I applaud those changes. Now, if you have criticisms of them, I'm perfectly cool with that, too, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not necessarily criticizing the changes at, at all. And I agree. I think it was wonderful that they had the, the payoff for that. Um, and and it also um, I think that throughout the season and in this episode, even a little while before this with the birth scene and so forth, I think they are definitely playing around with the idea of the the emotional connections between the dragons and their riders, that whatever this bond is, that they can sense and feel the uh, emotions of the person. And so it's, you know, if they are coming from that perspective, you can see that both these dragons could have been feeding off of what was going on there. And you have Amond who is coming at this with his anger and resentments uh, over what happened to him and that, you know, Luke was the one who had uh, been most responsible for taking out his eye before. So he's got all that going on uh, that, uh, you know, could be uh, vague or could be sensing, sensing all of that. And uh, being a dragon that was used for such brutality in the past that, you know, she would take that and, and, you know, run with it uh, as, you know, destruction rather than having any kind of restraint. John, I know you had some thoughts about this, so let's hear them. <laughs> well, it's going to be a little bit, a little bit lesser than, it, than it was before. Cause Susan already pretty much told, told everything I was thinking for the most oh, part. Dear. Uh, no, you're good. It's well, Susan it's, knows more than you do anyway. So it seems it's true. Um, but this is where I said I surprised myself because usually when it comes to like books versus show, the books always reign supreme. And I really loved this take on the Amond and Lucerus kind of like they didn't intend this. This isn't what their intentions were. They didn't want this to happen. Um, and I think this is... Um, building off of kind of what Susan was talking about, that emotional bond, that emotional connection. It's very emblematic of, of who these boys are at their age. They, they themselves are not in control of themselves. They are not sure of themselves. And then you have these very, I would say, emotionally intelligent creatures that have probably better sense of who their rider is than the riders are of themselves. And when they are picking up on things, they are, they can tell that they're unsure and they know what they really want. So they are then acting out on their behalf because they view themselves as almost the caretaker of these riders. They are the ones that are more powerful. 
and they are going to enact the the will of the rider and what they perceive and because these boys lack the strength or the emotional strength to kind of i guess bring that at least create that emotional bond like look i might be feeling this but this is my intent this is what i want because they're not sure the dragon is just acting probably more on its nature and what it feels is best in the situation whereas you see somebody like damon and even Rhaenyra earlier in the series, Damon is a thousand percent like on the same page with Caraxes all the time. Like he didn't even have to call Caraxes. Caraxes came up and it he, he knew or they knew to come and kind of intimidate those Kingsguard because they're on the same page. They can feel like they have that connection. And the same thing with Cyrax. I think there's moments where Rhaenyra probably is a little bit unsure in what she's doing. And Cyrax is kind of there to like boost her up in terms of like when the swords get drawn, that's when she roars and kind of like shaking her out of where she's at. So, but what I do love about this is it does create an intelligence behind these creatures way more than I guess I was expecting the show to do. Like they've Mm -hmm. talked about it in the books. They've said that they're more intelligent, but not everybody knows. Like it's, it's, and it's something that Targaryens supposedly know. And I think there's a lot of stuff that's been lost in time to some of this. So I don't even think that Targaryens necessarily know, but it comes with a lot of experience. And with these inexperienced kids on these gigantic, like nuclear bombs or say F 16s or whatever we want to call these things, it's very dangerous, not only to the rest of the world but to themselves and i think that's when you this is what we get with that and also arax to susan's earlier point never fought anything except a goat probably (laughs) yeah yeah good point uh kelly i'm gonna go to you last because and give you the final word on all of this stuff because it is kelly's dragons podcast coming to a podcast app near you soon however i do have one question for you first you know, Boros doesn't seem to be very beholden to his father's wishes. Is it possible that one of his father's wishes was for him to learn to read? It's, it seems that that's likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, All right, yeah. what do you got? <laughs> he ignored that, that wish as well. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, previous uh, Bobby B, uh, you know vibes coming from this guy um i think i think robert could at least read that's my thought at least anyway um the uh uh i have actually some questions too but i'll I'll start with my thoughts on it and and see what you guys think so what you said about what viserys thinks about dragons and how they are um not actually under the control of the targaryens and that's an illusion um do you think he meant something more like it's a connection it's bilateral or do you think he literally meant like we are at their whim and we serve them you know as much as they serve us or or whatever because i would say damon probably has the exact opposite opinion as viserys and i wonder if that's a lack of experience from viserys or if that's uh damon has a special connection because they seem like they're completely at odds with their well what what i got from the first conversation in the first episode was that viserys 
got this information from reading through the histories of old Valyria, uh, which seems to me to indicate, you know, a great overall scholarly knowledge. Now, Damon in practice had lots of practice with Caraxes, uh, would see things totally different. But at the same time, we see at the end of the episode, Damon uh, doesn't believe in, in the dream that Rhaenyra finds out that he never knew about either. He says, dreams didn't build, you know, this house, dragons did. Uh, is that the case? Because we know that that dream comes true. Uh, Viserys's dream, or oh, you no, mean Ag Aegon's Aegon dream. the Conqueror's dream? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I think Damon's right. Like the dream may have given them the motivation to, you know, work together and continue their line, but they wouldn't have had a chance if they didn't have dragons. No, that may be the case, uh, but I feel like we can't say that Viserys isn't speaking when he says the dragons aren't in control or when we're, we're not in control of the dragons, how are, I don't care what your emotional bond is, unless you're actually warging into it, which we've not seen evid any evidence of ever, mm -hmm. there is no controlling something that size completely. Sure. I don't think Damon's ever really implied that. I okay. think Damon has just seen dragons as the mechanism for power. Okay. Um, I, and that's the context that he was talking in. Uh, but what I find, but because of what Viserys knows and what Viserys tells her, and then what we've seen, not just in this show and the other show, I would say that Viserys's truth would be more accurate than any kind of implication that Damon would make about being able to control the dragons, which he never has. Sure. He's only, he's only said, you know, implied that they're a mechanism for power. I don't believe that uh you can because Viserys has so many truths and we see if he as he's building that model throughout the course of this of this first few episodes and he tells Alicent how he's building the model by reading the histories and then the stonemakers go and make these pieces based on what he tells them um that what he says about dragons being out of control destroying old Valyria is more likely to be true than dragons just not being than dragons being totally subservient uh, to their human writers. So I feel like that's well known. So I'm wondering what he said that was like what he's implying is the misunderstanding. Like people know that like dragons aren't a slave. Like that's kind of a thing that even Danny knows, and she doesn't know that much about dragons. But like. Um, people seem to understand that like dragons are you know wild obviously anyone besides a targaryen would stay away but is that what the um illusion that viserys is referring to is the fact that the targaryens have complete control over them is the illusion but what he's telling her is that no it yeah that the targaryens have control over the dragon complete control over the dragons is the illusion okay yeah that's the way i read the scene did you not yeah. read it that way I honestly didn't remember until uh, I had heard it or this reflection topic came back up that that was <laughs> okay. a, a good one. Yeah. So I was trying to recall the, I remember the context, but I don't remember what he was, you know, 
what we talked about his feelings about it. Yeah. Was. He actually asked Rhaenyra about, you know, whether she thought what she thought of the Targaryens. She said, we're closer to gods. I remember, yeah, I remember the scene. They think we're closer yeah. to gods, but we don't control the, you I know. I remember that part, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and he reaffirms, he says, you're right. We we don't have control of the dragons. Uh, and the disaster of old Valyria was because of them, more or less. I mean, I'm paraphrasing there, but that is essentially <laughs> the meaning of what he says. I honestly think when I first heard that in the show, I was like, he's just saying that because he only got Balerion for like two days and doesn't like it. Well, <laughs> now to go through now the show is showing yeah, exactly. you that he didn't just say that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> all right. All right. Busy. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> I have uh, one observation based on all of this. Um, and, and I've heard other people talking about this as well, is that this whole situation also uh, puts in context uh, what Rainey's did with Maylis in the previous episode in Another Light too, because that showed a very good control over her dragon that she was able to, you know, what she did at the end there in terms of taking that dragon up to the dais where everybody was standing and having it threaten them by roaring at them, but uh, not to burn them and then to, you know, just turn around and fly out. This that whole situation showed, uh, you know, that she and obviously she's had years, just like you know, Damon's had years um, to yeah, develop. It's, it's a completely yeah. different situation for sure, but sure. I do respect that point. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, Luceris has never flown it on, on Rx right. oh, for yeah. anything except other than a joyride. Agreed. And Agreed. I don't yeah. think any human is going to control Vagar once Vagar's mad. Right. And I also. Agree. Uh, both Caraxes and Meles had riders before, so maybe there is a well. So know, did Vagar familiarity with uh, paying attention to your rider. Vagar has had several riders before, mm -hmm. and maybe stops caring about. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what's another a, rider? Oh, well, he, he did. Uh, Vagar, they did try to uh, throw Aemond off the first time. It's like, let's see what you can do. Yeah. And, you know, Vagar behaved for Lena very well. Like, Vagar flew through fire for, or was it the other way around? Did Vagar blow fire and Damon flew through it in their little aerial show in Pentos? <laughs> that was the other way. Yeah. It was Damon. Way. Yeah. That was pretty cool. But yeah. So she, she behaved for, uh, for Lena very well. So maybe it's just, uh, having this boy on her. She's not, she doesn't respect him yet. Well, Vagar was barely over losing Lena, right? Uh, when Aemond. True. And uh, like you were saying, you know, she was uh, sensing his emotions and responding to it, uh, like flicking a bug. Yep. Yeah. My my only, I guess, argument or I guess in defense of, I don't think there's, I would never say it's control. So I, I think Viserys is right. But it's, I think it's often like you do look at, I think dog ownership, that's like my main like understanding of how things like can work between an animal and a, and a person and you have all sorts of owners and I looking at how dogs are with their owners can to the point me that Matt and Viserys have been making is is control over these animals is is a bit of an illusion some you can physically restrain and there's control there but the dog there's many dogs that are way bigger than people 
but when you build that that deep relationship you have to it takes time and training and the training isn't necessarily you're training the dog is training the person and building that kind of trust between each other and i think that um and I, and I think they've not, they have, it's hard to illustrate. We only have so much time, but I always get the impression when, and it might be the actors, it might be me filling in the blanks, but every time I've seen Cyrax, Caraxes with Rhaenyra and Damon on screen, it seems like they spent a lot of time where we saw, we saw Vermax with young Jace like once, but you've never seen Arax and Luke. You see Vagar a little bit with Aemon on the, on the claiming, but it's like, how much time are these people spending with mm-hmm. these animals they I, showed it, them it, younger spending time in the pit with them like Jason. like it was a lesson like they went to like a, a you right. know, dragon school <laughs> right but it, yeah and, and again we only have so much time and it yeah. but but they're doing i think they at least for me i guess i pick i'm trying to like fill this blank in it's like are they spending enough time where they do have that relationship and that kind of trust mm. But yeah, they, they think... went on about Rhaenyra being a flyer all the time and how well, the first time you see her, she's on the dragon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing with Viserys with Balerion, I think any of us, if we went and we were hanging out with a T-Rex for the first time, if dinosaurs were pets, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to give you a pretty good, uh, like healthy fear of it, um, considering it's gigantic and, and it, extremely yeah. vicious. Maybe the age thing too, the fact that he is so detached from human age that it's become a difficult task to even try to connect with something that old. Yeah, that's a good point. And not to mention he took some poor girl over to old Valeria and another story for another time. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Hey, they brought it up (laughs) on the official podcast. (laughs) The official podcast. You listen to that first, huh? No, I listened. I listened to Matt first, and then I listened to uh-huh. Bald Move. Then I listened to the official podcast. That's the order oh, in which I listen to every week. John is always right, right, Kelly? Yep, always. <laughs> it is known. Yeah, and I think too, just to keep in mind that with uh, Arax, and again, like I said, with the blowing the the fire at Vagar, he that dragon had to have felt really threatened in that moment so you know the animal instincts are going to override a lot of things when they are threatened anyway yeah well my boy Eamon he shouldn't have done that you know he shouldn't have gone after him chasing him like that that's what really started the whole thing Uh, but then after it got out of hand it just got out of hand he was so close to getting away oh he Mm. just hung out in those cliffs I did have one question. I was just going to pose a real simple question. Um, do you did you like the surprise of Luke seeing Vagar? I know that was kind of like the big like aha scary moment. Or would you have appreciated if there was like a cutaway or if they ended the last episode with Aegon with a conversation between Allison and Aemon? Like you have to go to Storm's End. Would there be more tension for you knowing that Aemon was there? I know we all knew that, but for like viewers, if they would add that like little piece to so everybody knew he was there and then they're sending Luke there, would it create more tension? I love the way and I'll I'll shut up after this because I've been talking too much, but I love the way that um, that moment of Lucerus seeing Vagar established Luke's bravery. Like I said, 
I see that. I see Vagar there. I'm getting my butt on Eric's and I'm flying home and I'm saying, mom, we got to do something about this. Uh, but he just bucked up, swallowed, walked in. I loved that. I thought that that was a moment for Luke and it wasn't intended to be scary or anything. It was just something that was supposed to show us that Luke, uh, who thought his mother was perfect, saw his mother in his mind in that moment and said, you know what? She'd say, just put your chin up and go on in. And that's exactly what he did. That's what I loved about that scene most. I like I I liked it because it felt like you pull up to a party and you see, oh no, my ex's car is out there. I'm gonna see him, I'm gonna run into him when I get in there. Well, I promised my girlfriend I'd be here, so I'll go in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was ominous, but it was like, you know, to the that feeling, but much greater. <laughs> uh and then it was even more impressive. Like I think when you got in there and we, you know, he pulled off his um eye patch and you saw what he his uh his sapphire holder <laughs> yeah i want that sapphire that was crazy Susan? yeah the only thing that i was disappointed that they cut out was um the baratheon girl uh insulting aemond in a way that kind of egged him on to to go do this like they had in the book so I would have liked them to have kept that. I thought it was uh, that was a good little <laughs> bit. There are some things that I can understand that like the writers are like reverse engineering. Like, how did this become the story that was told, and then how could it have actually happened? And then there's some things that they leave out like that that I'm like, that didn't hurt anything. Put it back in. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, I did... that I was just gonna say that tale of the girl saying that could be uh, Eamon's story that he told and then it became the story. Yeah. Uh, okay. I didn't want to be a fool. I did go back and they did say at the small at the Green Council meeting that the um Lord Boros, the Storm's End will be of concern. So it was kind of dropped okay. uh that the, that that was on their radar as a place they'd have to hit. Yeah. Like but they it. also they also mentioned the Muppet as well. So <laughs> um everybody loves Jim Henson. <laughs> who loves evidently stealing names from history. (laughs) Damon, the dragon whisperer and wife strangler. Yeah. This will be a good place where we can put another, yet another debate of Damon or Dame off. So what part of this do we want? Let's start. Kelly, we haven't started with you in a while. Uh, because I love interrupting your dinner. Uh, what did you want to say about this uh, stuff? Uh, I'll let you spill all the Valyrian stuff because I'm no good at reading it and I got half an eye anyway. Ooh, yeah. So most of the stuff I was thinking about was what we talked about with um, Viserys and um, it just fit in well there to compare Damon to Viserys, but it just seemed like this episode more than most uh, kind of solidified the Damon dragon obsessed um targaryen uh and i feel like there's it's that's part of his personality that came out a lot in this um maybe the the bad side of his personality that came out a lot in this episode but um that aspect of it is uh i think played into some of the the negative (laughs) feedback uh damon received um i think he has his reasons but we'll, we'll talk about that um 
So yes, he gets up on the uh, in front of the king's guard and doesn't even have to gesture or uh, make a noise to Caraxes, uh, and he just like comes on down the mountain and does exactly what a hype man would do for uh, <laughs> you know his his boy trying to be intimidating, and he was. Um, they are just on the same wavelength, um, and I think there's something about Damon where he was either born this way or he um, turned himself this way, where he is just really, really good at dragon handling. I just think that we got a kind of a punctuation on, on Damon, Dragon Whisperer, and I think that plays into his other character uh, development that I think has come out in spades this episode as he is um, driven into action and reaction and decision making and having to either cooperate or instigate or agitate his family into action. Um, I think he was afraid of seeing Rhaenyra become complacent like Viserys. I think he was agitating her to be her best, as I spoke about before. I think Damon plays the role of agitator in the Targaryen family. And I think he does that well to make because he grew up in the time of Jaehaerys when there was peace and all of his aunts and uncles died. <laughs> like they just got themselves killed because there was nothing to do. And then there was that uh, uh, crisis of succession that led to Viserys becoming king. So I think Damon's character is just made to be an agitator and he knows the value of the dragons to their family. And that's what he's focused his life on. And it kind of collided in this episode for me. So. Damon the Dragon Whisperer, Damon the Agitator, however you want to see him. I think he's playing. Well, how did he whisper roles. and how did he agitate? He agitated Rhaenyra a lot. Like there was a lot of back and forth scenes over the painted table of Rhaenyra making a decision and Damon kind of pushing back against it or one upping it. And then um, Rhaenyra asking a question and Damon answering it and kind of saying, give me enough, you know, to the point of like it kind of sounded like he'd be like, what else you got? Like, you know, she asked, what's our strength? And he had all the numbers off the top of his head. And then, you know, she had to have her next question ready. And um, I think he was just pushing her to be a good, you know, wartime leader crisis leader or whatever just to not be like Viserys an indecisive leader is uh what he's trying to force her away from my take how is he I, as a whisperer well I was just gonna say that you know uh Matt Smith soon to be appearing in Hamilton on a stage near you which is why there's gonna be a year and a half off before they start filming again or, or I, it, half a year off before they start filming again uh didn't sing bad but i don't know what he sang what the heck did he sing kelly oh it was a uh, very lucky that we have such a big fan base and a very smart fan base for the show so who so i know history of wester has posted this did they say who they um received it from is it ti like ty mckell right um and wrote the lyrics and then they were translated by david j peterson into valerian mm -hmm. uh the words are much shorter in english so i think it sounds much prettier in valerian but it uh comes translates into fire breather winged leader but two heads to a third sing from my voice the fires have spoken and the price has been paid with blood magic with words of flame, with clear eyes, to bind the three, to you I sing. As one we gather, and with three heads, we shall fly as we were destined, beautifully, freely. So that's beautiful. And it implies he's just trying to recruit the, th the third head. 
to his rainies and Syrah or to his uh uh to Rhaenyra's Syrax and his Caraxes, I guess. But did the idea come from him seeing the emblem on Viserys's crown? I wonder, yeah, because when he's he enumerates all the dragons and he lists them in threes. So he says, We have Cyrix, Caraxes, and Meles. And then he says, Your sons have Vermax, Arax, and Tyraxes. And then he said, Bela has Moon Dancer. And then he says, You know, Sea Smoke is on Driftmark. And so I don't know if he was considering that they need to wake up or, you know, get riders for Vermithor and Silverwing to fly with Moon Dancer just to constantly have sets of three dragons out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the the three headed dragon thing's been a thing since Aegon the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's well known, but yeah, I could definitely see him getting inspiration from that for sure. Susan, what did you think of the song? I I, I like it. I like it quite a lot. It makes me wonder. I hadn't really picked up on this emphasis of the three heads with it, uh, and that really makes me wonder with his. Uh, being so having such a strong reaction to what Rhaenyra said about the you know mentioning a prophecy and him being so uh you know dreams didn't make us you know king's dragons did um you would think this is this is almost alluding to prophecy I mean I guess it might be alluding to uh Aegon and his sisters too but you know the three-headed dragon always to me seems wrapped up with the prophecy stuff yeah it's more Um, tradition than prophecy maybe like i was gonna say i think maybe the way i would interpret it is this song that he's singing he obviously had to learn it from somewhere he's not just making up Mm -hmm. the words on it in his head on his own um right uh maybe it's an old song that he's learned from the dragon keepers uh, as to how they've tamed dragons before. Maybe it's an old song from old Valyria when the first dragons were tamed, for all we know. Yeah, they said he was doing all that studying over in Pentos of all the, uh, uh, you know, all the, the Valyrian ancestry. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, you would think that, you know, he w- might have been seeing a little bit more about prophecy too. So, Prophecy yeah. or, again, songs to Tradition. train dragons. Yeah. Right, right, yep. Is it also possible to read this as Damon, like he picked up the crown when um, Viserys was trying to reach the throne and he handed it to him? Is this also mm-hmm. probably either him could remembering? Could be connected. Yeah, I mean, just moment. him remembering that moment could be, could be. Or his ambition getting the better of him in that moment and looking at the crown with some envy or, I don't know, desire that it's so close Thus and yet making him his. putting it on Rhaenyra's head even that much more strong of a moment possibly maybe yeah possibly but then turning around and strangling her kind of defeats that purpose <laughs> doesn't it uh, so with all of this wonderful singing great singer uh don't want to go backstage with him Damon are on or off Kelly go ahead and cancel me i'm sorry i i didn't have the same reaction a lot of people did to, to that scene it seemed forceful but not damaging um i know that's i don't i acknowledge that that's not my experience so maybe that's triggering for some people but i just thought he was just being his forceful self he wasn't hurting her it didn't seem to me it just seemed like 
he was controlling her and physically overpowering her, but he's never going to be more powerful than her. So it didn't have as much of an effect on me as I think it might have otherwise. Okay. Fair enough. John, how about you? What did it do for you? The singing first. What are the I singing was more do? angry. I was more angry that he wasn't with her during the birth. So that would make me more dame off than the, str- okay. the strangulation. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> Sorry, John. Go ahead. So does he get the role for Hamilton or not, John? I, I mean, I don't know about Hamilton. I don't know if he's, he's there yet, but I mean, my personal opinion, Hamilton is kind of overblown, not my thing. So, but I thought I thought Damon was a good singer, um, especially in Valerian. I'd, I'd be interested to see him uh, rehearse that and like kind of get through that because like another language and singing and it's like there's a there's a whole thing there. Um, but no, I was I was pretty impressed with that. There's another whole shot of him in that 20 minute doc this week of him oh, doing there? of him doing that on stage it's it's not rehearsing it but doing a take of it oh interesting so i'll have to check that check out check that out it, um but no i thought it, i thought it went over pretty well um bunch better than i thought and knowing that he actually sang it's great i i love the reveal of who he's singing to um it's very um interesting and just everybody remember the name vermithor because apparently the HBL wanted you to know it in their subtitles. <laughs> and then um And we, we had no idea why. We don't yeah, know why. We don't know why. Um it will be it it'll be interesting to see where this relationship with Rhaenyra and Damon go, because I was a little bit taken aback by the the throat grab. Uh, but I, I'm kind of with Kelly. It didn't come across like I'm going to choke the life out of you. It's more of like I. It, it's there's probably a little bit of like, like, I love you. I care for you. Obviously, they're family. There's that whole weirdness that, that we kind of just like gloss over. But it's almost like, how are you, How would my brother share more with you, even though you're his daughter? I'm his brother. Why would I mean? There's so many probably emotions going on in that one scene, and then it's like, yeah, it's it's very it's clearly very complicated. Um, but no, I I was I'm still kind of taken aback because it's not I I would never react that way. But again, I'm not a Targaryen, so I will say this again, and then a season you'll get the last word on Daemon or Day Off and anything else about this stuff. But I will say this. I found Damon's action appalling, but not nearly as appalling as episode four with the brothel, where you get a girl drunk, take her to a brothel, and do all of that stuff with her, and then leave her to her own devices. And the mess that I had all caused, it split up a friendship. He was a total heel. I, I, if if you had to wait till this moment to be checked out on Damon, then I don't know who <laughs> you are. I really don't. I don't know who you are. If you had to wait until now, a guy who's murdered his first wife, a guy who molested his niece. I mean, if this is where you're going to draw the line. Well, I did not find it out of character for him at all. So, um, and in terms of him 
not going in with the in the birthing scene my feeling about that was that thinking back to the situation with Lena and he did seem very empathetic with Lena in her uh, scenario I would think that he was probably somewhat traumatized by that and so I wouldn't be surprised that he would not feel comfortable or he would be emotionally shut down when it came down came to any kind of like difficult birth scene but we've seen his natural reaction be uh anger and and violence to leash out i mean think about him uh uh beating up the messenger who came to um uh the uh, stepstones with his brother's message um i think that's kind of his the way that he reacts to situations so uh, this didn't it didn't surprise me at all either and in terms of it didn't really change my opinion about him one way or another yeah. one of the things that I uh, I'll, I'll be my little minor rant about this was that while I didn't spend a lot of time on lying about it I did realize that it supposedly did cause a lot of uh, it ruffled a lot of feathers people who had become big fans of his were upset that they didn't think that it was, uh, they thought that it was the writers misportraying him. And uh, I, I disagree with that. And the thing, the thing that, um, that I thought was very interesting was I was reading an article where one of the writers was talking about how they're going to be exploring, you know, how they're going to explore his complex character even more next uh next season and that she was talking to martin about this and about people's reaction to it and martin said um this is reference back to when i was telling you guys about that uh, extra clubfoot guy that i was adding lord byron from back in uh, the back in the day mm-hmm. uh, he was known as mad bad and dangerous to know that was coined for byron as the the bad boy and he was the one who is kind of the emblematic Byronic anti-hero and Damon is the that mold that is exactly what Damon is is uh, he, he fits into that type of uh, Byronic anti-hero so uh, I was uh, I was pleased to hear that uh, Martin brought up yep that's Damon he's mad bad and dangerous to know Excellent. Susan's always right it's Susan is Susan knows more than you do folks <laughs> uh and believe me i mean if that scene was triggering for people then i totally get that i don't i don't want to belittle trauma that that can cause i'm just thinking that if that is triggering to you then how is any of the rest of his this season with him not why are you still watching the show i i wouldn't be able to if that kind of thing yeah. triggered like it's, me. It's like, take care of yourself. Like if you, if the show has birthing scenes in it and you're triggered by birth, like, you know, or stillbirth or, you know, abortions or whatever, like, you know, take care of yourself, but don't take yeah. it out on the show because they're portraying a character having an action. Like, it's just, this is what happened. Deal with it. Like, stop trying to say that it's character assassination or it's a one writer's vendetta because apparently one writer could control the entire arc of a single, like, character or i don't know it's just yeah i'd like to add one other point to this too because i've seen this kind of uh 
argument uh, go on online in other fandoms in regards to other characters too. And the one thing that just has got me really, uh, that I get really irritated at this point is that sometimes when you have a, a character like this, who obviously is a bad person that does a lot of bad things. And yet there are some people who are fans of them. Sometimes those fans get really attacked. Like, how could you, you must be a terrible person to even <laughs> like this person at all. It's like, you know, I can separate, you know, a story from reality. Of course, I'm never going to think that anybody should be in a relationship with somebody like Damon in real life, or, you know, I wouldn't want that for anyone I know or for myself or anything like that. I can still enjoy exploring the character within the story and, and get a lot of fun out of him. Moving on. You thought I forgot. I did not forget. It's time for a top five. Susan, help me out here. Number five. Dragon? Yeah. Eric. Eric's, I loved that little dragon. That's very close little... between those two. But Number four. Vermax. I enjoyed the way he was introduced to us in the show as he came out. Dragon, we got to meet. That was a good moment. That was absolutely yeah. a good moment. Number three. Caraxes. Caraxes. Yes. Number two. Melee's because she's beautiful and she rocks. I think she's the prettiest. Excellent. And number one. Syrax, because she was introduced to us first. She opened the show, and I thought she was beautiful, and I enjoyed everything she was in. Excellent. All right, Kelly, your number five actor, or number five character. Five character was Viserys. I almost forgot him, and I made sure he was at least on the list, but um, I yeah, he... Uh... He was great, you guys. My heart. Oh, I loved him so much. Number four. Well, going from my heart to somewhere else, Damon. <laughs> the brothers. Yeah, for different four. reasons. <laughs> reasons, as we for said reasons. earlier in this season. For reasons. Number three. Lena. She was so pretty and she was so energetic and I loved her so much. Lena. I love mm. that one. Number two. Rhaenyra. I love her uh, stoicism and I do enjoy um, how she's handling everything. Like, I don't think I've seen her make a decision that I, I don't, I disapproved of yet. You know if what I mean? You, if you can convince the queen that never was that you're going to be all right, then I think you're doing something right. Right. Uh, number one. Speaking of. <laughs> Rainies. I love Rainy so much. I think I, I relate to her the most. I would be a, v, a good VP. I would be a good, um, uh, what did we call them before? I don't know. I'm just, I'm a good, like second in command. I don't want the power. I just want to help make good decisions. And I think she's helping that. 
helping the people around her do that. She is a great character. John, your number five character. <laughs> Dragon Keeper number one, obviously. Oh. Of course. Your number four, Dragon? Number no, no. <laughs> I love I love this high fives list. This is so great. Oh, uh, so we did season of Greg season. I'm trying to try, trying to remember them all, but probably C Rex. Number three character. Number three character. It's got to be uh, ah, it's it's tied between Otto and Damon, but I think I'm gonna go with Otto just for some diversity. Number two dragon. Number two dragon. Nobody's mm. mentioned Sunfire yet. And y'all are haters. Because we, we kind of didn't get to see we Sunfire. Didn't get to see Sunfire all that much. I mean, it can I mean it, it has to be on the show, so I can't just pick pick whoever I want. But Sunfire it's gotta is, be Sunfire was on the rocks. She was looking or he was looking I didn't get real at, uh, at Lena's funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just sitting there like the prettiest cat in, in like the house full of cats. Like that cat knows it's the cutest. You know? Kind of disturbing <laughs> that it's Aegon's, but I would be, it would be Melee's for me. And your number one character? The greens are getting no love, so I got to go with Aemon. That's a good call. Aemon is a good character. I loved that guy in The Last Kingdom. He played such a different role in The Last Kingdom. He played this bastard son who had become a monk and was just terrified of everything. And and this guy is such a good actor. He, you don't even recognize him as the same person. Even though you do recognize him as the same person, you don't recognize him as the same person. It's amazing. It's It's just like, that's not the same actor. Holy crap, it is. I love no. that guy. I no, love him. Now you need John Lovitz's uh, line, acting, acting, end scene. 